Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. When a king makes a speech, mostly people listen. In the New Testament book of Matthew, there are a number of Jesus' speeches recorded during which he shares some life-changing insights and he makes reference several times to the need for his words to make an impression on our hearts. Tonight is the second in a five-part series titled The King's Speech. Dr Corbett is again in Matthew chapter 13. Tonight his message on kingdom principles, we'd better not. Just like any really good story, it's always good when you get a different perspective and the Gospels do just that. They give us different perspectives. The Gospel of Matthew, which we'll come to in a moment, has a perspective. The Gospel, Matthew, Mark. Mark is, is the shortest Gospel. Mark is written to Romans. And Mark was probably the a PA, the personal assistant to the Apostle Peter. And when he wrote his gospel, it was really Peter's gospel. Peter's giving him insights because Mark wasn't in the upper room. Mark wasn't alone with Christ. Peter was nearly all the time. And so what we have in Mark is the shortest gospel. There's only 16 chapters. Mark doesn't start with genealogies. He just launches straight in. And it's about Jesus. Every chapter has Jesus doing something. Then Luke. Luke is a doctor. And this is the thing I noticed about doctors. You've got to have a phenomenal reserve of compassion to be able to hear people whinge and moan and ache and pain and all the rest of it all day. And Luke was like that. He was very compassionate. He was really concerned with people. And so he describes Jesus with that sense of compassion. In fact, he describes Jesus. The word Jesus and compassion appears more in the Gospel of Luke than anywhere else in the New Testament. It, he describes Jesus, Luke describes Jesus as someone who is lonely, someone who thirsted, someone who seemed to be, shall we say, anxious. It looked like Jesus was concerned just before he went to the cross. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Luke describes this. He shows the humanity of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then there's John. John was the youngest of the disciples. He was probably around 16 years of age when Jesus chose him. John is writing to people of his day, the Greeks. And the Greeks, they, what they really cared about was the ideas behind things. It's called philosophy. So the Gospel of Matthew, what's this about? Because this is where we are now. The Jews were longing for something. They were longing for someone to come that had been promised and prophesied in the Old Testament. They call that person the Messiah. If you've got a Bible, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you haven't got a Bible, just give a wave and an usher will grab a Bible for you and we'll get a Bible to you. Be happy to give you a Bible, so ushers get ready to do that. This is looking at one of, the, one of the major statements that Jesus gave. It's where he, just before he was taken, he declared these things. These are a series of seven speeches that he gave, and each of them are parables, they're stories. And one of the things that is worth noting is when we look at what he's doing, who he's saying it to, we, we note some peculiarities about this, this man. The, the, the celebration of Jesus, the Christmas child, is, is something that grips the world. It's really fascinating, isn't it? There's something very, very strategic and appealing about a baby. A baby's not, not 
offensive, it's not intimidating, and God has come to this world as a baby. And in this speech in Matthew 13 that Jesus gave to a crowd, he, he's going to use three or four parables that all have to do with seed. And we're going to have a look at the second one in just a moment. And that's the parable of the weeds. What, what I just want to sort of put down to start with is why is it that the world is utterly fascinated with Jesus? If you think about every major religion has something to say about Jesus. Every major religion. In fact, the Quran says more about Jesus Christ than it does about Muhammad on a factor of about 10 to 1. Now that's curious. Why is it that the world over is utterly fascinated with Jesus Christ? I think there's some reasons. Firstly, he was probably one of the most courageous men that has ever lived. He was one of the most impeccably honest. In fact, at one point, he even said this amazing statement, and that was, who can convict me or charge me with doing any wrong? Any wrong at all. The way he said it was, which of you convicts me of sin? What sin have I ever committed? That's an amazing statement. That's not a statement that I could necessarily make, or I think anyone in this room could make, that we have lived a perfect life, and yet Jesus did. He was impeccably honest, amazingly courageous. He was someone who is phenomenally gentle, which is not normally the trait of a world leader. Not normally the trait of someone who would later be described as the king of kings. There's something really amazing about Jesus. And here's, I guess, one of the most fascinating things for me about Jesus Christ. If you've ever met anyone important... I'm going to take a stab and say the overall impression you probably come away from them with is two things. One, what a privilege it is to talk to them. But then the other thing is you feel that you're taking their time. You feel like you know, they've surely got far more important things to do or people to be with than me. And, and you know, I, I've just, I, it's a privilege because I'm with you and it's a privilege because you've given me a part of your time. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus, is he always seemed to have plenty of time for whoever wanted it. Next time you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four stories that tell his life, ponder this, that there were many times when people came and interrupted Jesus. Now, I don't know how you process interruptions. I could take a guess. But for, for me, just... By the way, don't tell anyone this. I find sometimes I find interruptions just a little frustrating. Jesus never did. And it's, it's, a, it's quite amazing. The number of times he was on his way somewhere and he said, I've got to get to, and someone interrupted him. You know, a woman comes up to, a woman comes up to him, touches him. Not the done thing in those days. She came up, she touched him. He stopped. And he gave her all the time in the world. Then there were times when Jesus was tired and he sat down on the roadside and straight away young children came to him and said, do you want to play? <laughs> do you want to play? And Jesus later refers to that and says, you know, I, I, I played with children and, and you criticised me for that. And, and all the things that they had to criticise him for, but if you think about it, the things that they criticised him for was you play with children, you hang out with drunkards and prostitutes. 
He had plenty of time for people. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. Jesus knew that he was on this planet for a very, relatively a very short period of time, 33 years. And yet in that time, whenever, whenever someone wanted his attention, he gave it. He was walking one point on his way, it says, through Jericho. And there was a little man up a sycamore tree. What was his name? Zacchaeus. There is a children's song about Zacchaeus was up a sycamore tree. And he stopped because he sensed this man wants some time with me. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to come to your place and have lunch. And he gave him the rest of the day. He did that for people that were prostitutes. At one point, he's, he walks in on a scene. He comes around the corner and there's a group of Pharisees who, who have a, a woman whom they're about to execute justice on, in their eyes justice, which is pretty brutal justice. They're about to stone her to death and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus and say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you say? And the interesting thing is that it says Jesus got down in the dirt. And, and, and people focus on what he it then said he wrote something. But where was the woman? She was down in the dirt. He actually got down and just spent time with her. It's amazing that, that he spent time with her. He doodled something in the dirt. He stood there. Perhaps he took a cloak off and covered her. And then he said to the men that had brought her out, whoever hasn't ever committed sin can throw the first stone. And it says that they dropped their rocks from the oldest to the youngest and left. And then Jesus could have just left it at that, but he doesn't. He gets back down in the dirt with this woman, picks her up, probably wrapping his cloak around her, and says, where are your accusers? And that woman's name was Mary, and she became a lifelong follower of Christ, and we track her story through the Gospels. He had plenty of time for her in a pure sense. It's an amazing thing that this Jesus, the God who created the universe, always seemed to have time for people. And when we look at what he's about to say here in this series of seven speeches we might call them sermons, but they're hardly sermons. They're more stories. They're, they're speeches with a point, with a story. And the, the first three of them all have to do with seed. And, and he says, this is what it's like to follow me. You want to follow me? Let me tell you. The first one is when he talks about the parable of the sower who goes out and sows seed. And some falls on rocky ground. Some falls on the hardened path. Some falls in very fertile soil, but the problem is there's weeds all through it. And then there's others that falls on cultivated, weed-free, rock-free, highly fertile soil. And he says, each of these soil types are people's hearts. When I share my challenge to people, your heart will be one of those four types of hearts. And not everybody will want to follow Christ. Not everybody will want to follow Jesus. And Jesus was very realistic about that. And as he shares this story, I think the people, it, it says that he, he went out from a house and, 
he began to share this and, and as he was doing this, it says great, a great multitude came to him. Thousands of people soon gathered around him. Who were these thousands of people? He's in the region of Galilee. Galilee, there were no rich people in Galilee. Galilee is where they spoke with a very particular accent. And we read later on that when Peter, who was from Galilee, was in the courtyard of the high priest, he spoke and that girl who said, you were one of his followers, he says, no, I wasn't. She says, yes, you were. I can tell because of your Galilean accent. So the people of Galilee spoke with an accent that betrayed their lack of education. It, it showed their lack of culture. They spoke with, a, with an accent, y'all. And you could pick them. And these were the poor these were the uneducated. These were the people of no consequence in the world's eyes. And there's Jesus. He says, this is the kingdom I'm inviting you to come to. This is the kingdom. I'm putting on a banquet and I'm inviting you to come and sit at my table and spend time with me for eternity. But this is what you need to know. Your heart's got to be right. You've got to have this good ground heart. To receive what I'm actually saying to you. And now he gives this second parable to these people who feel like no one cares, who only a matter of months earlier, the Romans had come through the then kingdom ruling and reigning the world and over them at that time. They had come through and squashed a, an alleged insurrection and hundreds of their men and children had been butchered by the Romans. And Jesus says, I'm offering you a different kingdom. He had their attention. But my kingdom's not anything to do with military might. My kingdom's not anything to do with what the world says is valuable. My kingdom has to do with your heart. My kingdom's not a matter of rules and regulations. It's not a matter of whether you look religious or whether you act religious or whether you go to church every Sunday or whatever, whatever religious impression you give. My kingdom is about your heart. And let me tell you, Jesus says, I want to sow my kingdom into your heart, but your heart has got to be soft and it's got to be open. And I guess if anything, today you might be here and you might be thinking, well, I'm not really religious and I'm really hanging out for a cup of coffee and to give my grandkid a hug. But in the meantime, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is not inviting you to be religious. He's not inviting you to shave your head and wear orange and go, oh, even though we did have a thing. He's inviting you to have a heart transformation so that you can be in his kingdom, an invisible kingdom, an affiliation of hearts with his. And this is the amazing thing. We see in the stories of Jesus, even as he is right now teaching these people about what it means to know God, what it means to be in his kingdom and to follow him, he had time for everyone. We're going to leave these series of stories and if you track through, you're going to discover that from here, speaking to thousands, he goes to a little synagogue on the Sabbath, which he, amazingly, he always did. Every Sabbath of his life, he was in a synagogue. And I want to follow this, Jesus. And I want to introduce you to someone that I believe, if you, if, if you turn your fascination into adoration, 
he will become the most satisfying factor in your entire life. He had time for everyone then and he still has time for you today. This is the fascinating thing. We pick it up from verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. And if you've got a light on your Bible, you'll be able to see it. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So... When the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now that is a really kind of, it's almost a strange story, isn't it? Jesus is saying to these poor, oppressed People who've been told by the religious elite because you can't afford to pay for your sacrifices when you come to the temple, God does not approve of you. Interestingly, when Joseph and Mary came to the temple immediately after the birth of Jesus, they, they could not afford to bring a bullock, a sheep or a ram, which is the standard payment of a sacrifice to be presented on the birth of a baby. They brought the poorest of the poorest prescription for an offering. And these people are pressed and told, you're just not educated enough to know God. You're not, you're not cultured enough to have a relationship with God. You're not rich enough to participate in the temple practices. Jesus says, it's none of that. Knowing God and coming into a relationship with him you need to know this. There was once a man who sowed wheat and what grew was wheat and weeds. And there came a time of harvest when he said, we'll pull the weeds out first and we'll burn them and then we'll harvest the wheat. That's a strange story. That is a really strange story. And here's what we, we know from anything we read about what Jesus had to say, and it's, it's this. Just wait a minute, because oftentimes he will go on and say, you don't get it, do you? And the disciples had one of those moments. The disciples said, what? We don't get, what the heck, weeds and wheat? What? Harvest? Fire? What's all that about? So to help us out, and we're very grateful to the disciples for having one of those what moments, would you come down to verse 36? Then he left the crowds and went into the house, presumably the one that he'd left at the end of chapter 12, and his, his disciples came to him saying, would you explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field? 
Because I guess with a little bit of insight, you could probably figure out that when he said a, par- a soul went out and sowed, some seed fell on the path, some seed fell among rocks, some seed fell among weeds and thorns and thistles, and other seed fell on good ground. I guess you can kind of figure that out, the good ground. Yeah, that's the kind of heart Jesus wants you to have. But this one, weeds and wheat. So I'm rather thankful that the disciples said, we don't get it. Explain it to us. So Jesus says in verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's how Jesus often described himself. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is... I find this amazing because here Jesus is, is saying this. There really are only two alternatives in life. You either follow me or you don't. And if you don't, you're following my enemy. There's no middle ground. There's not three options, four options, five options. And, it, and, and I guess from this we deduce there's really two options. And the second option, whom Jesus says, is the option of the devil He doesn't care what you call him. And he comes in all kinds of shades and sizes and colours and religious garb. But really it's all of him. This is pretty amazing. This Jewish carpenter speaking to thousands of people saying, it's either my way or it's no way. Who does he think he is? (laughs) This would almost be arrogant. Can Can you get what's... What he's saying here, if you don't follow me, you're following the devil. It's not like you can say, well, I'm taking the third option. I'm just going to do what I want. Jesus says, if you're not following me, you're following the devil. Wow. This is what Jesus said. The other thing we see here is is that Jesus is saying, apart from the fact there's only two spiritual choices. You either follow me or you don't. And if you don't, you will not get into heaven. Hmm. And he says, ultimately, at the end of the age, which for most of us, we don't even have to wait to the end of the age. It's the end of our life. We, we will leave this life and we will stand before God and give an account of our life. That's what he calls the judgment. And then the other thing is, <clears throat> you know, I... I in the first parable, the seed was the word of God. In, the sec- in this parable, the seed are you. It's, it's, it's those who say, Jesus, we do want to follow you. He says, these are the sons of the kingdom. These are the ones who say, I want to follow you. But you see, when we make that kind of commitment, Jesus says, I want you to know that there is an enemy of your soul. He's my enemy, and because he hates me, he'll hate you. And he will do everything he can to choke you, everything he can to keep you, obscure you from me. You see, when weeds that look like wheat grow, they're called tares. When they grow, they look exactly like wheat. 
They grow up. The only difference is, the only difference is at harvest time, it's the only time you can tell the difference. Because when a wheat head grows, the head grows and then it reaches full ripe harvest and it goes like this. The weight of the head, it bows. But the tear, that imitation thing, it looks like wheat, but it's a weed. It grows and its head stays upright. It kind of looks like wheat. And now that's why he said, let's just wait to the end, because in the end it will be obvious who my followers are. They will be the ones with their heads bowed. But the arrogant will have their heads high. And Jesus is saying, as you seek to follow me, your head will bow and there will be those who have their heads high and they will look down on you. They will give you heaps. But they gave me heaps too. Hang in there. And here's what we know. Ultimately, Jesus says, all oppression, all injustice, all, as he says, law breakers and causes of sin will ultimately be dealt with. It's a scary thought that ultimately one day God will judge. And Jesus is giving it and he's saying it to an oppressed people. He's saying it to a people who feel battered, who feel unworthy. He's saying it to a people who've been told you're not good enough, rich enough, smart enough, educated enough or cultured enough. But this is what you need to know. Spiritually, two paths, not multiple paths. Not all roads lead to God. I'm the only way to God, he says. You follow me and I will keep you for eternity. And this is what we need to know about this parable. Here's the life lesson for now and for eternity. You give your life to Jesus and he will keep you in this life, guard you, and he will keep you for eternity. And followers of Christ, we need to recognize that the harvest is measured by whether or not we will become more humble, more fruitful, not arrogant and proud. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people that say, Jesus, we want to love you. We want to live for you. We want to serve you. We want to know you. God, I pray that you help us to reflect you. Father, there is a world out there who thinks Christianity is about being religious. They think it's about church tradition. They think it's about all the trappings and, and all the ceremonies and all that. And God, it's nothing to do with that. Being a Christian is someone who has their heart made right with you, who has their heart made soft, who has their heart open and tender to you. And God, as we grow, as we become that full head of wheat that you can one day harvest for your glory. I pray that we will increasingly bow our souls before you, that we will be humble, humble enough to care, humble enough to follow in the footsteps of our master who always had time for others. Help us to be like that. Now, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you may be here right now and you know that you're not right with God. And I'm not just talking to people who've never become a Christian. I'm talking to those who consider themselves followers of Christ. You know you are not in the place 
you should be with God. Right now, your heart is pounding. Right now, you know the Spirit of God is wooing you. Come home. Come home. Come back to the Father and stop running. Come back. He's waiting on the veranda. He's looking. He's longing for you to return. Another story that Jesus told. So God, I pray for each one who feels they have wandered away from home. That God, this might mark a day where they say, you know what, I feel the weeds around me trying to choke my spiritual life, trying to distract me, trying to put a fence between me and my brothers and sisters and ultimately between me and Christ. And God, I just want to bow my head right now. Not even look at them. Just bow my head, eyes closed and see you. And this day I say, Jesus, have your way in my life. And Father, as we approach this Christmas season, Christ, God in the flesh, mass, celebration. As we celebrate the coming of God in the flesh, I pray that you would bless every home represented here with tremendous joy. And I pray, Lord, that this Christmas would mark a new spiritual beginning for every one of us as we commit and dedicate our lives to walk in the forgiveness that you offer. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, There are life lessons for us now and for eternity. That's the second instalment in this series, The King's Speech. Next week, Dr. Corbett continues with the discovery of unimaginable treasures. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, We'd Better Not, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagarda Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.